That's not just the sound of that first sip of Morning Joe. It's the sound of someone shopping for a car on Carvana from the comfort of home. That's a good blend. It's time to take it easy, like answering some easy questions to get pre-qualified for a car in minutes. Talk about starting the morning right. Just like customizing your terms so your car fits your budget. Mm, mm, mm. Visit Carvana.com or download the app to experience car shopping the way it should be. Convenient. Comfortable. Ah. Happy Friday. Another version of Take Two. We'll call it the Valentine's Day edition Mm, since it's almost Valentine's Day. That's sneaking up on us. February 9th, this is Heidi Hatch with KUTV2 News. Mara Carabella with the Exoro Group. Greg Hughes uh, sees us as a part-time job. He just goes on vacation all the time. too good. Yes. uh, David Alvord, um, former mayor of South Jordan, currently on the Salt Lake County Council, and, and now an insurance man, I learned today. Thanks for being with us. Yeah, great to be with you, Heidi. Great to be with you as well, Mara. Yeah. Fun facts. What do we need to know about you before we start the discussions? Yeah, I was a practicing dentist for 16 years, served as a mayor of my city four years, and then ran for the Salt Lake County Council, currently covering the west side uh, from Magna to Daybreak, kind of that thin strip on the west side of the Salt Lake Valley. And it's been, has it been four years? Is that right? I'm in um, my third year. Yeah, yeah okay. Yeah, and I'll, yeah. I'll, I'll, I'll oh, serve another, right. another 12 months and uh, won't be seeking re-election. All right. Free, You've had enough of it? <laughs> free, free agent. Yeah, I just had a feeling to, to look at something new. And, oh, and I don't know what it is yet. Um, that's kind of cool. Let's compare and contrast. You were a mayor. Now you're on the county council. So the county council probably has a bigger budget even than you had as a mayor. Oh, uh, is it harder being bigger. a team player inside of a county council or being a mayor? Oh, no, the counties it's much bigger. It's a much more complex organization. The city was much more personal, probably more heated issues. Mm. Uh, maybe they didn't make the front page news, but they were heated issues because it was people's backyards, their zoning, and uh, some kind of personal personal things. So I probably put in more hours serving as a mayor than the, the county council. That makes sense. It's your neighbors. They're right there. Everything's a yeah. personal thing. A Co- couple calls a day I had to respond to yeah. as a mayor. Has your... Did what changed when you decided not to run for re-election? I mean, I, I I don't believe everything is a calculation, so I don't mean it like that. But you would be like, you know, I I know how much time I have. I know what I want. If you uh, want to announce you're running for president or whatever, <laughs> you can oh, do it here. Be, we yeah. break news. <laughs> yeah. Has anything changed since you made the decision to not run? Has any? Like, uh, did you do you approach council meetings any differently, or just what your agenda is? Uh, I think it, I think it's nice. You, you can kind of relax, but um, you know, whenever I, I set out to run for an office, I really want to know what I want to accomplish kay. during that term. And um, it was very clear to me when I served as a mayor, there were some things that the county council could do better for mm. the southwest quadrant. And uh, un- unfortunately for me, a lot of those things got checked mm-hmm. off. Yeah. And so um, when I looked at a re-election, I thought, well, what's next? And what do I need to get done? And what can I put on my flyer? And, uh, and it was kind of a blank for me. Mm-hmm. And so I thought maybe that means someone else needs to take over. Mm, that's cool. I, I like that. Very good. Uh, how are things at the Exoro Group? Are oh, you spending a lot of time on the swell. Hill? As little as we can, but this week a lot. So no I'm, offense to those a, on the no Hill. No offense. Thank you for your service, all 104. I mean, no, it's great. It's It's what's happening this time of year, but... It's also so chaotic. I, I'm, I'm, I've gotten my money's worth out of this week. Is oh, what good. I'm say. Good chaos. <laughs> I'm done. I'm ready. I'm okay. Ready for the Super Bowl. I'm okay, but I do like the snow. I know. I think we don't agree on this, yeah. but it was snowing 
I thought we were just going to get a little bit overnight. We've had a lot of snow at our house. Like how much? You live on the bench. I think we've already had, according to the home report, I think we are like five or six inches this Mm, morning. Way more impressive than South Mm. Jordan. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) So we got a little bit enough to make the dog a mess today, but that's it. (laughs) All right. We have a lot to dig into. We're going to get to it. On our list today was going to be the question of whether Governor Cox should send some of our National Guard troops uh, to the border. As of this morning, we now know that he is sending um, five Utah National Guard engineers. They're going to be sent February 26th to maintain military equipment near the border. Also on that same date, one sergeant and four state troopers from the Highway Patrol uh, from Utah's criminal interdiction team will deploy for 30 days. It's kind of an interesting um, task, especially the state troopers that are going with the interdiction team. Um, Mara, I'm going to start with you on this one. There have been calls for governors across the country to help Governor Abbott in Texas and to secure the border. Is this the right move or is this the wrong move for our state? Yeah, I'm super disappointed by this. I mean, let's state what we all agree on. Immigration system's not working. Congress isn't doing what they need to. Biden administration's not doing what they need to. And we're all really frustrated with the repetitiveness of the incompetence of of our federal government. But nonetheless, it's a federal issue. And this, for me, is using taxpayer money to make political points. Whether I agree with those political points or not... It's not respecting taxpayer money. It will do nothing. And for all the chest pumping and all the testosterone, it needs to be pointed out that they still don't have any of the rights to enforce immigration. So really what they're going to enforce and what the officials and what law enforcement is in Texas is doing things like vagrancy laws and littering laws, because those are the only means that the state has to do anything. And in terms of efficacy, which I think efficacy has to be tied to taxpayer dollars, We're not securing the border. We're having a political conversation, which maybe needs to be had, but we're having a political conversation with one crossing. It's not changing the disposition, and it's certainly not where the drug runners are. So I know we like to wrap ourselves in the fact that this is about an invasion, but it's not. These are largely men and women. This is not going to be. If you're a drug lord, you're not saying, oh, send them to this point. So it has no efficacy. It's just posturing. Yeah, it will serve no purpose. It's not a first time, though, because we have seen, I think, under Clinton, Bush, uh, Trump, now Biden, the state of Utah has sent not not usually huge numbers. Not at the request of another state. Correct. So it is really interesting that the National Guard and their protocols, and there's some complexity in this, there's some legal thin ice here in which the National Guard tends to serve in the response of the federal government and the presidency. It very seldom serves at the response. It's questionable whether you can serve at the response of a state-to-state Um, request on a federal issue. And so, yeah, I mean, National Guard often crosses for natural disasters and hurricanes. I'm not against us supporting other states, but if we're going to complain about the rules, we still have to uh, uh, abide by the rules. And I just, what offends me is its lack of efficacy and the taxpayer dollars that are being used to make political points. Same, or do you differ on this? We should be sending, or should we be sending more or less, none of the above? Uh, Yeah, no, I I take the completely opposite view. Um, I actually think this is kind of a fun moment in history if we were to look at it, maybe compare it to something like a Dunkirk, where we have gridlock in Washington, D.C., where we know there's this problem. We know that drugs are coming coming across our borders. And uh, it's a unique time that a governor of a a border state is asking for help Mm -hmm. and taking matters into his own hands. You know, we call it the National Guard. I'm very pleased to hear that they're doing some guarding. And if 
if the President of the United States wants to deploy uh, the, the national troops and deploy the National Guard, I think that would be welcome. But we know the Ukraine border deal fell apart. Uh, it's, it's not a time for talk. It's a time for action. And so I'm, I'm very pleased to see Utah join in the effort. Uh, you mentioned the deal that fell apart. Um, it had billions of dollars in aid that was supposed to go to Ukraine. Um, also, I think it was $60 billion to Ukraine, 16 to Israel, if I'm remembering correctly, and then also had the border deal in there. It was a bipartisan deal. It fell apart. Um, I'm sure it will come up again. We talk about it on the podcast all the time, that this is just one thing that Republicans and Democrats both like to yell about, but there's always an election year where it doesn't get solved. Do you think that President Trump was the reason that this fell apart because he was asking people to leave it alone because it is a good campaign issue, or was it just a bad deal and we need to do make something better? You know, I can't channel and, and, and think about what's in the minds of all of our legislators, but um, I do think perhaps the politic- politicization of President Trump's presence did affect affect things. However, every person that's elected and goes to Washington, D.C. has to answer to their constituency. And uh, I would just hope that uh, in good faith that they were operating under the information they had. And sometimes when you compound a deal, you know, you, you add it can help politically to get things across the, the uh, threshold. But in this case, um, it may have made it more complicated. You know, we're trying to u- combine Ukraine with the, the southern border. And I understand the relationship. You know, why are we s- securing Ukraine's border if we're not securing our own border? So I understand that relationship. But um, sometimes it just makes it too complicated to, to come to a compromise. Oh, yes. The deal making, Mara. We talk about it all the time. If I were in charge of Washington, we'd only have one, one, one item per bill. But I also know that's how they get bargains done. What do you think? What made it fall apart? Yeah, I mean, this is how the system is constructed. And so I agree with Dave. It's a time to do something. And we had a bipartisan bill. And we took a pass on it for political reasons. It's been pretty highly confirmed by the Republicans. I sort of wouldn't trust the Democrats to confirm it, but it's been highly confirmed by the Republicans that it was in deference to the politic of the moment, the Donald Trump politic of the moment. So I I do think it just shows that all of this is machinations. This is all just posturing. They, They had a bipartisan bill sitting there. And the point of that is it's a structured bill where everybody loses and everyone wins, but you could get it passed. In the spirit of equal opportunity bashing, which I am about immigration, I will point out that a very similar, if not identical bill was postured and the Democrats blew it up several months ago. So um, where I'm frustrated is I do think on immigration, we finally rallied enough consensus, albeit it's a compromised consensus. So it is as imperfect as democracy always is. And we saw the Dems blow it up a while ago, but I think it is absolutely true that for nothing more than political reasons, the Republicans blew it up this time. I, I'm really frustrated because, again, we are, we are in a status right now where we are choosing politics over policy over and over and over again, at particularly the national level. Yeah, and Republicans Utah, and Democrats keep doing it. They just oh, keep equal on keeping offenders, on. Yeah. Total equal offenders. And, again, I'm, I'm frustrated with the governor's office because I, he has resisted that superficiality up until now and I feel like now he's he's really just pushing all of the political buttons. So you feel it's a campaign year move? Yeah. What do I you mean, think? Campaign year for the governor? 
No, I think it's he's he's solving an immediate problem. There's there's momentum. If you look at all of the states that are joining with Texas, I think he's just recognizing that if we're going to have good gridlock in Washington D.C., it's time for states to act. I'm struggling with what the solve is. Tell me what will be the outcome. No drug. I mean, drug lords are sophisticated engines. This is not where they're going to be. They're they're going to be sending their supply. So there's going to be low level arrest. What gets solved? Do, do people stop coming? I mean, yeah, we're I, securing one one place on the border. What will be solved from this? Well, this is just the first step as I'm understanding it, and perhaps it does prompt the federal government to take this seriously. You know, there's got to be a little bit of an embarrassment in Washington, D.C. to say, gosh, these states have, feel like they have to take it on themselves. They're really not as well positioned to do it. Um, I think it also sends a message that momentum is shifting, that Americans have had enough, and that it could have uh, impact in D.C., so that, that's what yeah. I think it solves. And if, and if so. D.C. never gets its act together, then I suppose the governors get more organized. They start to expand across that border, and they start to regulate the border themselves. And, and we're not at all worried that that's unconstitutional. <laughs> is that just a footnote on history? I mean, it, well, our disregard for the Constitution right now is at an all-time high. I, I will let the courts decide if it's constitutional. I mean, they um, have, right? They weighed in last week. They weighed in They weighed in ago. specifically on, like, one really specific thing yeah. that— they could go in there, the federal government, if they chose, could go in and cut down that razor wire. Right. So there's not a law against, I think, putting the razor wire up, but if they need access to the area, they can I mean, cut it down. I mean, who secures yeah. our borders is a federal issue. Yeah. I mean, we can get clever about it, and, and they are. I think the governors are clever. And again, I want to support how frustrated states are yeah. with this issue because they're burdening the impact, right? It's it's city budgets that are being just demo, like blown apart. It's county budgets that are being yeah. blown apart. and while Congress has these conceptual arguments, it is the local yeah. government who's having to deal with the outcome. And it really is political because when you look at how our presidents kind of run the country these days, there's been a lot of rulings, whether you look at Biden or Trump. Um, most recently, we keep getting more and more executive orders. And I think executive orders don't do a lot of good to people because as soon as a new president comes in, they can unexecutive order it. And so it's not really the way to run a country. But we also know that if a president wants something done, and they want it badly enough, and it's something they believe needs to happen, they can use an executive order. So Trump obviously did, and then Biden undid it. If Biden wanted to fix some of these border issues right now, he could probably, by executive order, uh, get things rolling and just say, Congress, grow up, put your big boy pants on, and then fix something himself, and then, I don't know, keep working on a deal. But it doesn't happen, because I think it serves both sides to keep fighting about it. I don't know. Seems to. Yeah, I don't like it. We're going to keep talking about it till the day we die. Well, here um, in Utah right now, the biggest talk this week um, is Natalie Klein. We've spoken about her before. She serves on the Utah State Board of Education. She has a tendency to, I mean, lob things on the Facebook, on social media, on the internet that are obviously to get people's attention, to talk about the issues that matter to her. She's talked a lot about some of the transgender issues, but what caught people's attention this week is she posted, um, it was kind of an advertisement for a girls basketball game that was coming up. And actually, I think this was in the past. It wasn't even sharing saying, hey, go to this game, it's coming. It was just a couple girls um, on this photo and she shared it and now on the top of each of her posts she always puts constitutionally protected speech at the top which probably gives you an idea that she's saying things that are going to uh ruffle some feathers and below that uh she wrote i think girls basketball dot 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 the insinuation was is that one of the girls in that picture was not indeed a girl and probably a transgender athlete um 
weaseling their way into girls' sports. And I think we can all agree that uh, people can take different sides on the issue of transgender girls in sports. You can uh, fight the issue. You can argue the issue. I think the problem that people are seeing here is that she crossed the boundary and said she was bullying a girl, essentially. And I think that's one of the problems we're talking about here in Utah right now when we're trying to reel in um, Meta and Twitter or X or all of these social medias um, and tell them that they're harming our kids because there's bullying. Our kids are getting uh, fed things that we don't want. And so when we look to our elected leaders who are supposed to be taking care of um, kids in education, is this something that we want them sharing um, And that is really the big question around this. I'm not going to list everyone, but at this point, uh, the lieutenant governor, the governor, um, many people on both sides of the aisle in the legislature, uh, the Granite School Board, um, the board that she sits on have all come out against her and said, this is an unacceptable thing. This is not how we should treat children. Uh, Lieutenant governor and the governor even donating to Klein's opponent, Amanda Bollinger, online right now. I want to start with you. Tell me what you think about this, because obviously she feels passionately about her issues. Did she cross a line where she involves an innocent young teenager who obviously has to go to school every day and then face this kind of criticism and deal with this at home? Yeah, she absolutely crossed a line. And as an elected official, you you have to sometimes uh, take criticism from, from outside sources, but you never lob back to a constituent and worse, you, you would never do that to a child. And, uh, you know, one of the things that, that I say often in public service uh, as it relates to other issues is that children deserve to have a childhood. And um, to, to bring them into such an adult issue, to such a controversial issue, I, I think that absolutely crossed the line, and I was disappointed to see it. It was terrible timing. You know, here the legislature worked very hard to craft some bills on a similar topic that contained quite a bit of nuance and a lot of study and work. And frankly, I think I think they did the right thing on those bills. Um, however, and we're uh, talking about the transgender bathroom and dressing room bills, which yeah. I think actually originally went to your county council, and the county council decided it was something that needed to be decided on the state level. We we had a similar approach, and it has been characterized as transgender, but I would just say it's more more relating to gender. Um, under our current county ordinance, um, we actually had no restriction for a male or a female going into the wrong bathroom or locker room. We had no restriction on that. And, of course, the, the transgender being in kind of the intersection of those two, um, they, they tended to have some interest in that, that bill as well. But a, as it stood, uh, we could have had a man go into the county rec center locker rooms and claim, I'm feeling like a woman today. And we're not talking about a transgender that's had their, their gender legally changed with a judge. We're talking about a, perhaps someone that's an opportunist, um, someone who's taking advantage of a loophole. And so I, I feel like what the legislature did with that bill was right and proper. And so this Natalie Klein situation couldn't have been the worst timing for our state. Before we move on to Mara, do you think that bills like that in the legislature, because I think it's um, the LGBTQIA um, population in our community, um, felt like it was directed to them. They were upset. Um, the I think the other side was upset, saying, you know, I see a reason why this is passed. When bills like that are passed at the legislature, do you think it emboldens people, whether it is Natalie Klein or the people? And the sad part is, is it wasn't just one adult making what looks like a poor decision. There were other adults who started piling on in the comments. Does it embolden people to feel like they can say or do things that they shouldn't when a bill like that's passed? Or is this just grownups behaving badly? I, I would 
guess it's the latter, um, but you know, you'd have to get into the head of the individuals that are acting out. Um, the issue is coming to a head, and I think we're, we're starting to realize that perhaps the other side has gone too far. I say with all respect, I think they went too far, and now we have to try to find some kind of compromise and some kind of sane policy that, that we can abide by. Mara, um, just about anyone you can think of has been speaking out about Natalie Klein. I've seen one post online that um, has defended her and said, okay, it's one bad decision, but she's right on all these other issues. But the problem is, is that in my mind, we should be calling out bad behavior, whether it's on the left or the right, even if you're right all the time. And I'm guessing that she's probably feeling a little bit of that nasty, I've been bullied feeling because everyone's going after her. And one would think that um, she would have thought about that before posting something about a teenage girl online. Yeah, I mean, I think that you saw both left and right, all sort of ideological spectrums, respond pretty forcefully and in public to what she did. Part of it is she has been a sort of a, a repeater on hyperbole and sort of her strident point of view, which is absolutely her prerogative. But she has, it. it is not... It's not a single time where she's been sort of a a flamethrower. And I think that takes into account people's response. I've actually appreciated, one, I appreciated that it was swift and on record. Uh, Two, particularly with the the House, um, who who I'm going to disagree with in a minute, but the State House particularly said, not only are we going to condemn her words, we're also going to look and see if there's any actions we can take. There's still some questions. I also appreciate the prudence of the legislature saying, we must first look into the appropriateness of the actions before we start. Otherwise, I do think there's a little bit of sense of a mob there. And she does have the rights to respond. I do think that there are there are standards for elected officials that elected officials hold as close as anybody of the constituency that that they represent. So, so where who the, should hold her accountable? So is the, the standard question. would be that who is the the body that holds her accountable as an independent elected official is the legislature. My understanding is the school board can't. I mean, they could verbally reprimand her, but we're talking about a potential impeachment. I think we're a few steps away from that. Um, Legally, who starts that process would be the House of Representatives. It has an extraordinary measure. And remember the impeachable standards. So this would fall more on her moral conduct than it would be like high crimes and misdemeanors. And those are judgment calls, so they get hard to make. Um, Ultimately, to uh, the public outcry could impact um, whether she chooses to resign or not, and that's a conversation between her and her constituencies. She represents Southwest Salt Lake County Correct. and a little teeny bit of Utah County. I think it's sort of where her her district, if you will, is on the state school board. So public outcry makes a difference right now. Um, I do think calling out bad behavior that is so egregious, as Dave said, we just went through a really another round of a sensitive debate that most people really tried to engage in. You know, I mean, I thought the effort was really there on this conversation. I have a slightly different point of view on the impact of that conversation on emboldening. And that is, I'm, I'm, I'm going to, the, the House Majority Caucus put out a statement indicting um, Natalie Klein yesterday. And in part, it says, elected officials, especially those who primary responsibility to support and defend the children of our state, must uphold a high moral and ethical standard. Public servants have a far-reaching and impactful voice that should be used to inform and engage constituents. 
I do question whether the last two years in which the Republican caucus has, from my point of view, obviously gone at trans kids. Although, again, as I've said before, I think there was special attention paid. By saying I think they've gone at trans kids, it is a pretty aggressive statement because that's what I see from my point of view. I do not think the actors are ill-intended. I think the actors are doing what they think is best for more kids. That's the complexity of making law. I don't doubt the individuals doing it. I think they are doing honestly what they think is good for most kids. From my seat, though, how I experienced it is they, they say it's in the name of child safety, and yet they're not going after any of the likely offenders who they're corralling is who would be trans people who are so unlikely to be offenders in this space, which is where I doubt. I do think the only person responsible for this is Natalie Klein. But I do think that elected officials, to the point being made in indicting her, I think absolutely the spirit of the moment, the how we're listening to what people say, words deeply matter, and leaders set the tone. While they are not responsible for the actions of others, I do think that, that they are responsible for the second session in a row. What I see is an, an attack on diversity, an attack on LGBTQ issues. I will absolutely agree with Dave about the, the um, activists on the left side sort of being equally culpable for this high-level, you know, attacking and orchestrating of, I'll, I'll use the phrase, wokeness. But I do think that the legislature has to look and remember themselves that their words matter. I also am going to point out, I'm not going to um, let Representative Berkland off the hook. There was to, last night and into this morning a really interesting case in which she very forcefully on Facebook um, criticized what Natalie Klein had done. In that criticism, she also took protected information and evoked it. And again, it's a good reminder that we all might need to slow down a little bit and particularly look at our relationship with social yeah. media. I mean, <laughs> we, it, we've got to count defense, to ten. In Kara's defense, um, she had been egged on several times to give real examples of the problem she was trying to it's solve. It's her responsibility. And She's the elected official. Oh, I agree. I agree. Um, but this is a highly charged conversation, and, and I think this could be instructive for the whole state to, to recognize how to handle this better in the yeah. future. And I think the interesting thing that comes with problems like this is I think when something bad happens, elected officials also feel like they have to quickly react, be on the record, and say, this is bad or this is good. And I think in some ways it's important because it says puts a stop to that kind of behavior, but also sometimes there's rush to judgment. I remember um, back when there were some issues of um, – racist names being called out or the assumption that they were or an allegation down at BYU, uh, the governor quickly um, came out and I think he used asterisks but called somebody That's like right. an a-hole online quickly. But it was before we knew and there was some investigation. I still think there's questions of whether or not those racist words were ever said or not. And so I think we all probably do things online. I know I've tweeted things where I'm like, oh, I wish I would have taken more time and worded that better or done something where you learn, okay, maybe fast is not always best. Um, but I just think that in this social media world, we just have to be so careful of what we're posting and who we're talking to and how we're talking to people. I saw something totally unrelated this week, but it was um, a picture of Julia Roberts, who we all know is gorgeous, <laughs> and her niece, and I think they were playing cards, and she was talking to someone saying that she felt terrible because after this po was posted online, 
uh, she thought it was a sweet moment with her niece, but people were just going after her about how terrible she looked. And she's like, I'm a multi-million dollar star. You know, I shouldn't feel bad. I'm pretty woman. But it ate at her. And she's thinking, if this eats at me, you know, what eats at other kids or whatever online? And so I just think as adults, as kids, we all just have to really think about what we're posting. And is it getting to what we want? I, I will say back to Natalie Klein, I believe this was exceptional for everybody because it wasn't her child and there was a name and a photo. Like, had there been... To, to the point about Representative Brooklyn's, it what there were no names, there were no photos. It was a reference. It was still protected, but it was a vague reference. It didn't yeah. really ha- have it. this. Is completely unacceptable and deserves all of our reaction on behalf of that child who had a name and a photo, and that was just so clearly yeah. not acceptable. What we do about it needs to be measured. And, and if I could add to what we do about it, in my opinion, um, I've been told that the state school board actually is opening up an investigation, and so that's going to run its course, and they're going to have some findings. Um, what I would recommend is that we follow the lead of the family, because as we know, uh, we had an elected representative bring undue uh, attention on a minor, uh, unwanted and uh, and that's outrageous uh, but by continuing the story maybe calling for impeachment it could keep the, the story going f- farther and more people learning this young person's name who may not want to step forward and that's get, a great in, point. get yeah and she already world. came home from school early we understand yesterday because she just had enough of it already and it's something to think about and I think there's repercussions with even impeachment too just because you can should you and we talk about it on the national level all the time that um once you start impeaching one person, does it open up someone else and another person and another person to impeach? So should we impeach? I guess that will have to be up to the legislature and they'll have to decide whether that's the right thing to do right now. But yeah, definitely a lot of attention here and um, we will keep following this. I know we have a lot um, about all, there's multiple investigations going on going going forward. So we'll be talking about those on the news this evening. Uh, I want to talk about a couple national things real quickly. Uh, No criminal charges as of yesterday, we were told, were recommended over President Biden's handling of classified documents. Uh, The big talker that's coming out of this is uh, the report noted a jury would not convict in the case of a well-meaning, quote, elderly man with a poor memory. And depending on if you're talking to the left or the right, they're saying, well, they're just trying to make it so he can't run again. And he's a grandpa that can't remember anything. And then the right, on the other hand, saying, well, look at this. They just, it's just another way not to charge someone on the left. Mara, like, (laughs) you're nodding. Uh, Should we take anything from this? Should um, we be concerned about the president's um, mental capacity when you read this report? Or should we be saying, okay, good, he isn't getting charged and this doesn't rise to the same point that President Trump has? I mean, talk about a good news, bad news moment for for Biden, right? (laughs) Like, I went and he's like, yay. And on the other hand, not only was that comment said, there are two or three times where the special investigator, and I mean, he did it artfully because he sort of patted him on the head almost. He's like, well, you know... It's not going to stick because, as you said, because it's this well-meaning elderly man. I mean, that is not what you want described about you if you're the president of the United States. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, this is, uh, I'm going to move to the politic of it because I think that's where the outcomes will happen. And we know that Biden's weakest position right now, you see poll after poll, and what's driving down his Approval ratings, I mean, the economy, but there's some complexity there. People are worried about his age. And to have this special counsel, right, a seemingly out here objective. Now, the the left is going to complain that it was um, a 
a Trump original appointee, but Merrick Garland is who chose him, and the the left is who's been yeah. telling Trump he needs to live by this standard. So I think they have absolutely no room to not accept the decision of a special counsel, in my opinion. But this this actually. <laughs> He probably would have been better to have Charged? the charges and and had the special counsel say, man, that guy's got it together. <laughs> so he probably would have wished for that outcome more. Yeah, it's an interesting time to be alive. Uh, what, what are you thinking what, when you see this? You know, I actually had to kind of laugh at this report because I, I'm starting to see a comedy skit. I'm thinking Saturday Night You thought Night it was Live. The Onion? <laughs> well, Saturday Night Live's going to pick this up because in, in each of these cases of classified information, we're seeing like a, a stereotype or a typecast um, being revealed in the case of President Trump, you know it's it's this guy that doesn't care. I'm the president of the United States. I'm at Mar-a-Lago. I'm at a party. I'm going to show everybody these classified documents. And isn't that funny? And and then with Biden, it's um, hey Hunter, can you can you help me with these boxes next to my yellow Corvette? And and we can go and have some tapioca pudding after this and watch the sunset <laughs> together. And and what's in those boxes, Dad? Oh, I don't even know. I'm just an old man. And and so you're you're almost seeing. And then of course with the Hillary Clinton classified. It, documents it was so sophisticated she had a server in her house and and uh and so obviously she had a lot of sophistication to it which so so you kind of almost have a rorschach test where you're looking at these people and going how did they get these classified in for documents and and how does that fit with their personalities so I, i'm seeing it as kind of a comedy mm. yeah this it, is a weird comedy we've got going on in our country right now again we need and, some training and i mean both of both the last two presidents have special counsels looking at whether they took our most highly classified documents and then where the story gets dark and turns into a horror story from a comedy is these are the two people we're choosing again for president. I mean, I'm just going to make some presumptions about Trump there. But like that is where you're like, wow, and these are the two choices. I know, it's like these are our best and brightest we've come up with. And speaking of Trump, I just want to go through this quickly, but the Supreme Court has been um, hearing um, his case right now. They seem to be poised at this point to reject attempts to kick uh, the former president off the 2024 ballot. Um, It sounds like both conservative and liberal justices are in agreement that um, he should be able to go forward. Um, So we've got that going on at the same time. Somehow it seems like no matter how much we talk about whether these court cases for Trump or the court cases for Biden, that nobody's like, hmm, I wonder if we should make better decisions or change things (laughs) up. Although um, some people, if you like to um, read into it on social media, believe that um, at some point, you know, the right or left could turn on either of these. And that's why you need your backup candidates. So Nikki Haley and who are we assuming is on the left is waiting in line? Gavin Newsom. Gavin Newsom. I mean, that's who I would, that's who yeah. I would pivot to. Don't you to think Kamala Harris pivot. would cut off his legs? Uh, she will want to, but then we all forget she's there and she's got to figure that out. Yeah. But, you know, I will say a bright moment. I do think that the Supreme Court is going to thread the needle because I think that the reality is of our civilization right now. It, well, I mean, what they're, what the, I think the Venn diagram for the right and the left, I don't think Ooh, that was a very Kamala Harris of you. Yeah. She likes to talk about Venn diagrams. Oh, she does. oh, yeah. I need to remember that. So I think where the commonality is, is actually the notion of federalism. This notion of could a state choose the president or does that need to lean on more of a, a federal selection? And I think that's where they'll find commonality because I think there's disagreement on both sides of the weakness and the strength of both both parts of it, whether you're an originalist, it has it has a little bit of legal navigation. But I think importantly, if you're choosing between the lesser of two evils, I just don't think that the country could have the Supreme Court right now rule that somebody who half 
the people in America want to see on a ballot is not eligible. The one bright moment, I had a meeting in the, I'm, I'm justifying my, my wonkiness. I had a meeting in the South Valley right when the Supreme Court started. So I had about 25 minutes Ooh, to, to listen. listen. I'm just going to say they're smart people. Both, you know, all of them, it, it, it is hardening, hardening to listen to the discussion and going, all right. I mean, they're high functioning. Uh, there's a lot to disagree on there, particularly when you have a jurist point of view. But um, it it sort of is a, a little bit heartening to know that they're smart. I yeah. You know, and 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 they have philosophies. I also will continue to object when when the media and pundits like me say the Republicans and the Democrats um, on the court because I think it is a philosophy, not a party that is directing them. And the philosophies tend to line up a little bit with parties, but I think that's unfair to politicize the court more than they are. I mean, they are When you listen to them, I mean, I think you can realize that that's what it is. They're people Mm -hmm. who are constitutionalists or however they look at it. They're really looking at the letter of the law and they each kind of interpret it differently. But I don't think you see the right and the left like you think you do when you listen to them argue their their things. In in my day job, we we try to settle lawsuits. So I I represent dentists who are being sued. And and sometimes there will be motions to have a judge strike something out of evidence or something that, and and a lot of times the judges will say, you know, I I think I'm going to let the jury hear that. And they can factor that in, and and you know, opposing counsel, you can make the case that that's that's the thing. And I feel like that what the Supreme Court may be looking at in this case is, look, um, you have some complaints about Trump and the way he handled the election last time. Uh, these individual states, let's say it's Colorado and Maine and some others, um, we're going to let the elect the, the people. Um, they they understand what he did. They saw it. It was a very national public event. We're going to let the people decide how to weigh in on that. And that's, to me, similar to these judges yeah. that I work with, allowing the jury to hear all the evidence. Back home here in Utah, while we were talking about the legislature being busy dealing with Natalie Klein, they have a very um, small uh, set of time, according to our plan here in Utah, where they have to work out a bunch of bills. And there are a lot of interesting things happening. I want to start with Tyler Clancy's bill. This is one that you wanted to talk about, Dave. Uh, this is truth in taxation and the revisions that would come with it. I have not read up a lot on this one, so tell me uh, what this bill is and what it would change if it's a good idea or a bad idea. Well, I affectionately call this one my favorite bill, Ooh. my favorite <laughs> bill of the session. Having served on a city council mayor and then the county council, we we deal with property taxes a lot. And right now we're in an unprecedented period of inflation. The cost of food, the cost of all of our basic services are going up. And um, governments are just like your family budget. We can we can spend more. We can also tighten the belt. Um Lacking in a lot of those conversations is the taxpayer. And what this bill would do would um, take any potential tax increase of the property, whether it's the school district, the the municipality, um, and the counties, uh, and that would actually place it on the ballot, similar to like what we would have with our ZAP bond or a GEO bond. Or like the school bonds, that kind of thing? Yeah. Okay. Uh, There's certain bonds that are already required to go on the ballot. Uh, This would just do the same process for any tax increase with the cities. Um, but, I, but I think that that'll kind of shake the system. This actually happened in 1995 as well with SB 254, and, and it was successful. So that for three years, um, the, the uh, municipalities, the counties would have to go to the people, and then that will allow the elected officials to kind of uh, understand and have a little bit of under, understanding of how do we sell this to our constituents that a tax increase is needed and put themselves in the shoes of the voters? Because often the tax increases just go forward 
without as much consideration to what the voters think about it. And what we're going to get out of it. And why was it only three years? Was it a short deal that said they had to do it for three years and it went away? Or I can't speak for the 95 one, but this bill is for three years. Oh, it is again. Okay. Uh-huh. So it's maybe just a way to um, refocus our attention on um, the taxing and then spending. Mara, do you agree on this or is this a bad idea? I'm not into this idea, although I like the intent of it. Um, and I do like Representative Clancy, but I think here's some flaws for me. So uh, he's trying to replace truth and taxation. So truth and taxation showed up in the mid-'80s. And um, there are a bunch of districts, service districts, uh, as Dave was describing. Um, I, I like this idea if he wants to be more specific about this is a bonding issue. But usually what this represents is a subsidiary governmental entity like a special district who has a tax rate. Tax commission says, okay, here's how much you can raise. And truth in taxation is a nice thing for all of us because what it did is it didn't allow an automatic up of our property tax. So this district can't just, this entity can't just tax us and tax us. Truth in taxation already requires public hearings and meetings. Um, it, it gets the same turnout as the Tuesday council meetings. I, I fully acknowledge it. But I don't think, I think this actually should have um, a fiscal note on it because to have a legitimate conversation with the public and the onus would be on the city or the county who's levying this or the district that's levying this. It's going to cost quite a bit of money. I don't think you're going to see a high degree of turnout. There are complexities there. And these taxes already have limits on them. They already do have caps. So I agree with the intent of like, how aware are we of what's going on? How how in agreement are we? And Utahns, by and large, hate property tax. And so that should be looked at. We have several legislators who actually want to look at that tax. I don't think this is the smartest way to go about it. I think what ends up happening is the local entity spends more money. You get as much engagement as you ever do on these very important but boring tax issues. And I think what who will get hurt the most, who levies these the most um, consistently are largely infrastructure organizations. And so it doesn't take away from maybe the boutique tax that you don't want to do. And I think what it does is just spend taxpayer money to talk about whether you want to continue to incrementally support infrastructure that is frankly already in your city and you'd probably have a hard time rolling back that increment. So I I love the overall goal. I think this is just going to spend money, get no more engagement. And your big GOs or your big, I mean, like Zap is a really good example. It's only authorized intentionally every 10 years because you need a little bit of room to do a little bit. I love Zap because I do agree that every once in a while you need to check in. And, and, and I think we're all afraid of this, yeah, just sneak this in and, well, we'll get rid of it. And no government entity has ever gotten rid of a tax. And so I do like built-in times where you have to shout from the rooftops hey, do you know we tax you for this? I I just don't think this is the way to do it. All right, we'll keep an eye on that, Bill. A couple quick things before we go. Uh, Another one right now I think is super interesting in the legislature. Uh, We keep talking about AI. Can we legislate it? And one bill would make it so that AI child pornography would be illegal. Is this something that we can get a handle on? Um, I'm assuming it already exists out there. I mean, we saw how quickly um, we were seeing... We've seen AI try to pretend to be the president. We've seen the stuff of Taylor Swift that was nasty pornography that came out um, in the last couple of weeks. 
we know that child pornography probably exists. It's an easier way to, I guess, um, probably disseminate it, and it probably gets people addicted to looking at it. Uh, Dave, is this something that we can and should legislate, or what do we do with AI? Yeah, well, this is where I'm not a libertarian. Um, I think anything that could mentally suggest uh, any kind of sexual involvement with minors, like we began this podcast, um, Let the Children Have a Childhood, and uh, it's such an insidious evil. Um, Hopefully it's rare, but um, what we're talking about is AI that would simulate child pornography, and that can create an appetite. Um, Hopefully not in anyone in in this podcast. Uh, Yeah, definitely no. Um, I had an experience watching, I was binge-watching the the show uh, Man vs. Wild with Bear Grylls. Did Mm. any of you guys see that? I know of the show, but I haven't seen it. He he would uh, teach people how to do survival techniques, and one of his techniques is to eat insects. Okay. And so I was binge-watching this thing, and I happened to go up mountain biking in Draper, Utah, (laughs) and I hadn't eaten lunch yet, and and I'd watched hours and hours of this man (laughs) eating insects. I like where this is going. And and I saw a beetle walking across, and I saw saw it as food for the first time in my life. And so when you program your mind, and, and even though, you know, AI, you say it's victimless, right? There's no actual child actor in this. Um, it programs the mind to entice people towards child pornography and, and child victimization. And so ab- absolutely, this, this is a non-starter with me. I think this bill should be supported. Uh, before Mara gets a chance, did you eat the beetle? I did not. I did. <laughs> you, you only good thought question. about it. Okay, good. He went for the ant. <laughs> <laughs> I could swallow one of those easier. Uh, I did. I, 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 do you all remember when your kids were in grade school, you had, well, we had to give them little kits just in case there was an emergency and you put a chocolate bar and a note in it and stuff. Every year I put fried crickets in my daughter's. <laughs> I don't know why. I just thought it would be funny, funny. if she were in crisis. Next she door. would open it up. Or she, yeah. <laughs> talking about bad parenting. Um, so I assumed that we would all agree on the, the bad part of, of child pornography. So I maybe want to expand this discussion a little bit to also include Colomore's bill, which talks about AI in business settings. What both of these bills do at their broadest, and there's actually a third one that I'm really glad that our state is stepping aggressively into because this is a tough issue because we are running slower than the technology is and trying to keep up with it. So I really support that our legislature is crafting what I see as really smart legislation. And for me, the intellectual pivot point that I really appreciate is all of these legislation, legislative examples are essentially saying someone needs to be as responsible. This isn't without a person because I think what we're worried about with AI is that everyone holds their hands up and says, it's not me. I, I, This is all generated by nobody. So the genesis of of a lot of these bills is to say, no, we will find someone to be accountable, and therefore now we're into an accountable action, like child pornography, like um, Colmore's bill deals with selling things that aren't real and lying to people about it, and this, this really nefarious area where AI is being used, I do like that there are several bills that are pretty aggressively in the state of Utah saying, we, we can't have this be this area where everyone holds up their hands and says, it's not me. You have to have real people accounting for what's going on in this digital area. I mean, that was my reading yeah. on the overall philosophy. There's tons of nuances to it. This is a great bill. So are the other business bills that are trying to keep up 
not interfere with the private market, but trying to keep up on safety and legality issues. And I think the legislature right now is taking it seriously and doing a pretty good job trying to keep up with an emerging technology that is just on fire. It is on fire. And the thing is, is I know that to understand and debate these issues, you have to understand the tech or whatever's going on. And that's one thing that I haven't done a good job with. I know we have reporters in this newsroom that have used it. Jim Spiewak, he's tried to create fun games for his kids or make videos that rip off his voice and do stuff. And he understands this. I haven't really dug into it. And I know it's something that I need to do because it's something that I think we all have to understand or it really is going to escape us. There's so, so many also just personal questions. Like I'll give you one that was, a, I, I was sitting with a client and she was putting together a brochure and she showed me this picture and she's like, I'm, I'm trying to decide if this is okay. And it was this picture of this beautiful mountain um, lake And then there was this family that was, like, picnicking. And I'm looking at it, and I'm like, looks great. They seem like a nice family. And she said, this is AI, and that family is not there. And this lake's kind of high, and you probably couldn't hike up there and put your family there. And she's like, but, I mean, it's a real lake, and it's a real family, but you probably couldn't put them together like this isn't a real circumstance so I'm saying that because it's sort of a benign like it doesn't hurt you when you look at it but it isn't real like it it isn't a real thing you could do and I think so that's the esoteric part of is it okay I don't know what is it doing to us that we're seeing things that aren't real yeah and and what happens over the generations of that and that's on the benign part you get into things like like child pornography or um, abuse and and take advantage situations. And those have heavy-duty consequences for our society. Yeah, it raises a lot of questions. My son uh, is a senior this year, and I know they're using AI at school because they're trying to teach kids how to use it. And I think instead of, like me going into Microsoft Word and using spell check, they'll use it and use it for spell check or other things. But I also know when he's applying for scholarships, one of the first things you read on it is like, do not use AI. We can tell when you do it for your essays. And so we want kids to learn how to use it, but also at the same time, know when not to use it. And so all interesting questions we'll be watching. Uh, A Salt Lake County issue we're going to talk about real quick before we wrap it up today Equine owners, horse owners, say that Salt Lake County wants to kill their Western life. Dave, um, why do you guys want to kill their Western life? I understand this is over (laughs) E. coli and headed into the waterways. And before we get into this, I know that E. coli is an issue, not just in that area. Uh, The Jordan River has issues with it. The question is, where is it coming from? How do you stop it? Is there a way to stop it? And is getting rid of horses that people love dearly the right answer? Yeah, and so uh, your your question was funny. Why does Salt Lake County want to do this? We we don't. We want to um, blame someone. I'm sorry. <laughs> this this is kind of one of these things where the EPA goes down to the Division of Water Quality of the state of Utah, and then and then Salt Lake County. Now we have to figure out how to deal with these regulations that have been imposed been imposed upon us. And of course, we could do some Herculean effort to try to change the EPA or you know con- contact our federal delegation. That's not going to happen. But we, <laughs> we, we, you know, we have an uphill battle there. Um, they've asked us to come up with a st- strategic plan to do some best practices to to improve some things out there. And, and it's actually just the entire county. The county faced a two hundred eighty thousand dollar fine several years ago after an, an audit that showed that we didn't have enough protocols in place. Um, I've, I've formed a committee. We're actually looking at this. I really want to figure out a way to, that everyone that has horses up there, it really affects my district, high country estates. It's about 400 homeowners up there. 
Um, several of them have horses. They can have a certain number of horses per acre of, of land that they own. And uh, we would really like to figure out to have a manure mitigation, um, some plans put in place. They have something called a riparian bar- barrier. Um, but when the residents saw language of an ordinance, there were some sections that were pretty vague, and it really scared them that they were going to lose their property rights to have horses up there. And, um, you know, so will it really make a difference? I mean, I don't know a lot about E. coli. I know it's bad and we shouldn't have it, but will getting rid of the poop from a few horses make a big difference? Because this is an area where I'm assuming all the wild wildlife we have in Utah comes out of the hills and uses it as their free bathroom space, too. Yeah, absolutely. And that was debated very heavily on Tuesday night when we discussed this. There, they, they estimate almost 10,000 wildlife up in the Ochre Mountains. And all of those can, you know, in a big storm, they have these, they're called ephemeral streams. These streams come down the mountain, then they join the bigger streams. Um, the, uh, the, the creek that's in question is called the Rose Creek, and it um, empties into the Jordan River. But very rarely does it make it that far. It, it dries up, and that's where the Division of Water Quality is taking samples, and they're finding that there's certain times that the E. coli is spiking. But that could be stagnant water. I got them to admit so much. And so in this, in this committee and working group, we're going to be looking at that. Um, I suspect that we will have to come up with some best practices in that area, but, but I'm not so sure it's going to change the needle, move the needle in the Jordan River. Mara, you love water. Um, I do love water. Do we need to get rid of horses? No. I mean, that's sort of the least effective uh, reaction to a problem that's solvable, which is tainted water, which is a solvable problem. Um, and, and so I... I Dave knows much more. I don't want to wade into things I don't know much about, but um, there's this adage that communications drive politics, and and I I think this is a matter of really good communications, really good process is probably what's tripping it up more than science and and the reality. The other thing I'll just like fiercely defend in Salt Lake County as a Salt Lake County person is sort of this notion of how special this section of the valley is because it still has horse property. And I don't live there, but I really am invested in preserving it because it is what keeps us from not being Southern California, every place There's in so the world. Areas it's left, so yeah. Utah to me. And it, it just, so from a common sense perspective, and you presented this, it seems to me a little strange if it is as equine focused as it appears to be, because you're like, really? Out of all the things I say as a dog lover and owner, I'm guessing my dog is probably more culpable. So what I understand the focus needs to be on multi-stalls, on people who have some density with horses, but those are all achievable in terms of a compromise. So I have a high degree of confidence that the council will work it out, that they've brought in now the neighbors who want a little bit more spelling out and nuance. I think it also shows a little bit of um, good-natured distrust a little bit with state government in that they want it very enumerated because I think sometimes citizens don't trust that unless it says exactly what they want it to say, that what they perceive as a bureaucrat in the future won't give them the benefit of the doubt. So I think this could probably benefit with a little more specificity just so that those property owners feel good. But my overarching is these properties and those of you who particularly live in the South Valley of Salt Lake County they're treasures, and we should do what we need to do to be able to keep the rights of these property owners. And if that means additional responsibility, as long as it's reasonable responsibility, maybe that is an outcome is that the property owner has to do more. But 
They already know that. They already know they're also taking care of animals. So they're ready for that. So it may come with responsibilities, but I think in terms of long-term way of life, I want to advocate that it's worth additional effort to make sure that we're all not living in exactly the same neighborhood, in exactly the same house, in exactly the same way. I like these yeah. um, parts who have been able to maintain that interesting, well, you know. Life. Yeah. I live in a street that has a century farm still on it. And part of me wants them to sell their century farm because I'd like to build a house there. Yeah. But the reason why I like living there is because I like that there's a century farm there. Yes, it. and you can drive past it or walk yeah. past it. So it's nice. And I'm sure it's always more complicated than when you want to just argue about it on a podcast. I remember when I went down uh, to the Jordan River with my son when he was doing his eagle project. They were very specific. The kids shouldn't, if they fell in the water, don't put your hands in your mouth. And there's E. coli in the water. And the area we were dealing with in downtown I think is probably refuse driven too but there's homeless encampments all along there and until you get in there on a kayak you don't realize how much garbage is in there how much human waste is in there there's just a lot that's probably going into our water that we probably could stand to clean up and in general yeah. don't really drink urban water I yeah think it's just probably a, wise, a bad idea a wise lesson for all of us I know the carp <laughs> that live in the Jordan River cannot be feeling so healthy so I do hope we can clean it up because I would like to keep that river and all the wildlife that lives there well thank you everyone for coming here before we leave because it is Super Bowl Sunday we discussed this last week but Mara have you changed your mind are you going to get excited about this game for the sake of Taylor to. Swift? Well, I, I have, as you, as you know, the Carabellas run pools, yeah. just in case they don't have a team. And I'm staying AFC okay. only because I come from an AFC uh, background. But, uh, you know, I'm not excited, but go Kansas City. Okay. Well, I can't wait to see um, how much money you win or dole out at the end of this <laughs> week. Are you a football fan, Dave, or are you going yeah, to be no. knitting on Sunday? Yeah, no, go Chiefs. Right. Go Chiefs solidly with them. I haven't decided yet, which is really lame of me. I don't really care about the NFL. I've always watched the Super Bowl simply because as a member of humanity, you have to watch and be a part of it so you can go and talk to other people about it on Monday. Uh, But... CBS and KUTV have the Super Bowl. So I've been trying oh, to get right. more involved. I'm working on Sunday for the Super Bowl. You have a reporter. Yeah. Um, yeah, down there. So it's fun. I've been watching, and I am one of those weirdos that have paid more attention because of Taylor Swift. But I love an underdog story, and I kind of like the 24-year-old quarterback on the other team. So yeah, I haven't decided fun. who I'm going to cheer for, but I may make my this mind up on Sunday. This won't happen, but if I if – I at the last minute, I'm pretty sure Usher listens to this podcast. Mm, he does for sure. I think like a boss move would be having Taylor Swift come sing with him at halftime. Like your heads would explode. Those haters, their heads would explode. But they're probably stocking up on nachos at that moment. Yeah. And so, you, you, but I would have That'd her. That would be great. Wouldn't that yeah. be awesome, That actually? would be like a little surprise. She probably has one of her sequin numbers on her plane anyways because she's she performing in Japan. She's got to just travel with it, right? Yeah. Yeah. Ooh, that would be fun. I'm excited to see Posty too, because now that Post Malone's lived here for quite a while, I feel like we all feel he's like one he's, he's one of us. So I'm happy one of us will be on stage performing. Well, thank you for being a part of the conversation. Thanks for being a new friend to the podcast, Dave. And Great we'll be, be back you. at you soon again.